Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again with another episode of the Nolcast, Bud, a very, very full episode. We have people, uh, we have four people tonight, a lot of basketball talk, uh, as uh, it's been a lot of games that have demanded attention, uh, some disappointing uh, results that we'll try to make the most sense of and, and how it uh, impacts the team moving forward. Uh, absolute ton of football news and football questions thrown our way. Uh, that we'll do our best to get to over the next uh, hour or so. As always, want to thank our friends at Louisiana Hot Sauce for making the Nolcast possible. I've cooked uh, two meals the past two nights that uh, I was more than excited to uh, incorporate Louisiana into my preparation. Uh, could not be more fortunate to work with people in a product uh, that we authentically enjoy and just, again, appreciate what they've done for the podcast and appreciate our listeners' both support of us and uh, their fine product. You know, I like that it's the right amount of heat, right? Like, if you shake it a couple times, it can heat you up. But if you just shake it, you know, once or twice, maybe three times, you, you'll probably get a pretty pleasant amount of heat. You know, and with some hot sauces, they're so hot that it's like, okay, one one drop will probably really light you up. And, and oh, 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 I put two in there. Now, now I got to worry, you know. Uh, so, it, it's not one of these hot sauces that's, uh, you know, Oh, like the the hottest of the no. It, it's just a it's just a good hot sauce. Something you use for everyday use. I mean, I, I don't I don't like to feel my hot sauce in my ears every single day. Uh, and Louisiana is, is the right amount of heat uh, for me and for this podcast. So let's let's get into it here, man. Um, I guess we'll start with a little team talk. We got a lot of listener questions to get to tonight, so we will try to get to as many of those as possible. I've got a feeling uh, we will probably have to push a couple of these next week, but. Uh, uh, I guess we'll start off with coaching stuff. We're recording this on Tuesday evening, about about eight o'clock. So here's a question for you: Do you think the urgency of coaching hires has been reduced due to the early signing period? And uh, do you think social media makes it feel like it, like the coaching search is dragging, or do you feel like it really is dragging? I'm, I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. I think the first one is uh, is not even really a question. It's, it's just a simple fact. Uh, it absolutely reduces the urgency. Uh, the fact that you have a, a large percentage of your kids in your class, the uh, fact that a lot of the uh, kids that maybe some of these coaches would have been able to bring into play have already signed LOIs elsewhere uh, and are not in play at all, I think, it's, uh, I think that's just a fact. The only debatable part of it is to maybe – how much of the urgency it has reduced. Obviously, you can't experience life without what it is that actually surrounds us today, and it's hard to uh, imagine anything uh, without the filter of social media on it. But I would, I would think that I would have slight concerns that this process was dragging, uh, even if social media wasn't around, and maybe the expectation or the urgency for news didn't exist to the extent that it does. There. Are, you know, we and we detailed it the best we could last time. There's uh, some contracts. There's money on the table. There's reasons why uh, in various situations. But I I would think that I would label this as uh, perhaps dragging on, regardless of uh, what day and age that I experienced uh, this particular uh, coaching turnover. Yeah, and you know it's interesting to me because they did get the, the the top target in in Kendall Browse, and 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 they got that done relatively quickly, I, I would say. Uh, I feel like we know uh, what's going on with, with Randy Clements. We discussed it in the last show with, with the, you know, who's going to pay the buyout there uh, type situation. But we've had a lot of comments. Hey, are you still confident that Clements is coming? Uh, in, indeed, I am. Yeah, I, I, I really do believe that, that he is coming. I still expect him 
uh, and I think this is probably some sort of game of chicken going on in some regard, not fully, but I, I have a feeling, you know, that that's what's going on. And and I agree with you. I do think that the early signing period has made the, you know, the, the coaching hires uh, less urgent, right? I mean, Tennessee went, gosh, when did Florida State hire Browse? The 23rd and, and they knew he was coming basically a week before that, you know, they, they, they had their thing done. Tennessee didn't get Jim Chaney until, what, after the coaching convention? And they lost their offensive coordinator, I think, before Florida State did. You know, so some of these are taking what feels like an awful long time. But I also don't know that, you know, five, ten years ago, if we had round-the-clock message board type updates or speculation uh, on on each coaching hire and, and, you know, like, I don't remember a time where we were doing hot boards for a linebacker coach position, Right. And now that seems pretty commonplace. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yes and no. Some of that stuff did exist. It was just more, you know, it existed more for the diehards. And you had to go to a particular message board or a particular forum. You know what I'm saying? I, but, I, like, I remember, and this is a different, because I'm not talking about a linebacker coach. I'm talking about a offensive coordinator. But I remember, like, excusing myself from Thanksgiving dinner or maybe the day before uh, because I wanted to check on uh, an update every 30 minutes as to whether or not Jimbo Fisher was going to take the West Virginia job way back in the day. Uh, so there has been kind of that uber focus on the small, minute position hires and stuff like that in a program. It was just at a much smaller level, I think. Sure, I, I think that's fair. And, and it wasn't course, in a know- public medium like Twitter as well. Right. And in that scenario, uh, I mean, you're talking about a guy who you expected to be your future head coach. You know, so the the, the stakes there are much higher. I, I just kind of had a moment, you know, the other day I was like, like, what are we talking about here? You know, almost like, like an Iverson thing. Like, like the timing of an offensive line coach when, when you don't have any offensive linemen coming in for visits until the 25th anyway? I mean, what what what, what are we talking about here? You know, maybe – Maybe a receivers coach or or an analyst, an off field position for a year. Which, by the way, we got a couple questions about that. You know, could Ron Dugans be an analyst for a season uh, and then later on become the receivers coach? I think that's certainly possible. Yeah, given the fact that Miami, uh, I believe, had to pay a, a buyout on him. Uh, I think he still has money coming to him uh, for a year. So that could be a situation. Remember when uh, when Florida State had uh, Sal Sensori very cheap. At DN's coach from uh, from Tennessee, after Tennessee had had fired their staff, Florida State picked him up because he was still getting paid and, and he was he was on the cheap. We see that happen, you know, really all the time. USF got Charlie Strong, you know, for for a song for a while, and I I don't think USF expected to have to pay him actual money at any point because they thought he'd be hired away again. And it turns out things have not gone quite so well there uh, at at USF. Um, that's certainly possible. You know, Dugan's is is somebody I know. Florida State is definitely looking at. I, I don't know when they'll announce something with that if if he's actually going to be hired. But I think he's I think he's very possible. And as far as defensive back coach, I don't have an update on that. I I don't know what's going to happen there. I think Democrat is still the only one to report that uh, that Weston McGriff had been uh, had been announced as the DB coach. I still don't have confirmation on that. And look, I. Respect Jim Henry a lot. I think he does a great job at the Democrat, but I have to go on what my sources tell me. And so far, I don't think anybody else has 
any, any of the other people who are actually respected, you know, out, out there uh, have have gone with that. Going with that, we've seen all these reports that you know Taggart was on this plane when in fact he was literally in the Alamo Dome watching his son at the <laughs> at the All American Combine. Uh, that was entertaining. I, I got somebody that sent me a sent me a screenshot of something the other day, and they were like, "Hey, did you see this?" And I was like, "Uh, yeah, well, that's kind of silly." You know, given that he definitely wasn't on a plane at that point, he was, you know, in a seat. I I was watching him because I was actually in the same building. That's kind of what I got on coaching stuff right now. I really don't think it's it's a big worry, given the fact that you know, or at least I think I know that Clements is gonna is gonna be here. I don't know what'll happen with Fry. I think Dugan's is a strong possibility, either as the receiver coach or as an analyst. I think the concern, uh, the urgency or angst within the fan base with the offensive line position is because, you know, whether or not you totally lost uh, out on the five star guard because he was had questions as to the longevity of his potential position coach, or if Clemson is just a much better program recruiting at a much higher level than Florida State is right now, that it's the most uh, position that the fan base has the most collective concern about. And until there's some kind of uh, solid action that's seen as either addressing that or uh, just clarity surrounding the situation, I I think people are going to continue to... uh, to have a whole lot of uh, expectations that that situation hopefully gets cleared up sooner than later. I, I think that that's a, a fair concern. And at the same time, uh, I also believe that, look, Putnam's best relationship was was with Greg Fry. You know, like, I don't think there's any way that bringing in Randy Clements before national or before early signing period was going to help you get Will Putnam. In fact, it might have hurt your chance. And I agree with you there, but I, I think people could extrapolate the same concerns right now that, you know, maybe Fry's not a, a great recruiter, but he's not a bad recruiter. And are you even making progress right now by having Fry out on the trail visiting these kids? Oh, see, well, if if you're under the assumption that Fry is not going to be here, right? I mean, is that kind of the assumption with, with, with that line of thought? Well, you would need some clarification as to what exactly is going on in that position, whether or not you're going to have uh, two or similar similar situation that Fry's worked in the past where he worked with tackles and tight ends or whatever it may be. I don't think the ambiguity that exists surrounding that possession uh, serves Florida State well at all right now. I just – I haven't gotten word that any recruit has, has asked the staff about that at all. You know, and, and I'd like if, – if they were – if they were getting asked about that, then I think that you know that would probably be something that that you know Florida State would need to address with them. And I'm pretty sure if they, if if they were being negatively recruited with that as ammo, then I do think that FSU staff would would get asked about it, right? But at least from my chats with with, with the guys, they have not said, yeah, it's a big time issue, and we're getting asked about it. So I, I take them at their word for that. You know, I don't have a reason to believe that they have been asked about it a whole bunch or anything. Or that it's become an issue, but I, I, you know, obviously you would like to have Clements here earlier than not, but who knows? I, I guess we'll see what happens with that. Uh, somebody who is not here right now apparently is uh, Zaquandre White, the line, running back turned linebacker, uh, posted an Instagram shot that showed him at a uh, community college. There were also reports out there that he had he was going to be academically suspended from Florida State due to not meeting standards. And so him being at a community college, look, I I know Zaquandre, I, you know, I know his dad. He grew up playing very very close to me down here. 
distance wise. Now, I'm not saying I'm extremely close with the kid, but you know, I know him more than some. You know, it, it's disappointing because you, you you saw the talent, you saw the ability, and yet you saw a guy that just repeatedly uh, from the high school level and you know uh, up to now at the college level just couldn't get it. You know, couldn't get out of his own way. Right. Uh, you know, couldn't couldn't necessarily stay focused in the classroom. You know. Got got to show up on time to meetings. Got to got to stay focused. Got to you know kind of got kind of got to grow up a little bit and make sure that your eyes are actually on the prize. You know, and this was a major issue for him in high school. Who knows? I mean, there's got to be quite a bit of culture shock. I'd imagine going from a program as nice as Florida State uh, to to going to some you know crappy community college. Maybe this will be the wake up call he needs. But for for a lot of kids, the wake up call doesn't come until their eligibility has expired, and I hope that's not the case for him. Yeah, a guy who uh, personally I think podcast wanted uh, the best for, uh, as we do for all players, but uh, a guy that was just unfortunately like uh, like aggressively selfish on on the field. I don't, I don't know exactly how to describe that, and that's not a perfect verbal recap of uh, of Zaquandre, but always on the edge of getting a personal foul, uh, not just – to the point where uh, his level of play was nowhere near justified by the the amount of a, a liability that he'd be at times. So, uh, like like I said, always want the best for him. Uh, seems like a good kid who uh, gave great effort on both sides of the ball. But uh, hopefully, somebody will get it turned around and have uh, have bigger things in, in front of him. Yeah, there's no reason to root, root against the kid, you know. But but I I do think that getting that personal foul when he wasn't even in the game, you know, and getting kicked out against Clemson uh, left a real bad taste in the staff's mouth. And uh, it, it's probably better that they went separate ways. I mean, I know they liked the kid's physical ability, and yet, uh, man, there's there's some stuff you really just can't do, and that would be that'd be. I mean, one the of Clemson them. game um, might have been the proverbial straw that broke Campbell's back, but. Uh, Quandre Wright was, was a, a lot of other stuff. He was a coin flip every time he went on the field as to whether or not he was going to get personal foul. Every special teams play, everything. It was, you know, you just can't you can't do that. You know, at, at some point the light bulb's got to come on, and, and it just it just never did, man. Both staffs that have had him out at Florida State uh, struggle with that, and so now he's off to a community college, it appears. Uh, Amir Rasul is in the transfer portal, Florida State's uh, – Number three running back from from 2018 uh, would project to be the number three running back again in 2019. Not a real surprising move. We'll talk a little bit about this in the recruiting section probably, or, or maybe I'll save this for next week. But you are seeing Florida State you know, offer a few more backs. Um, I, I think this is somewhat related to Zaquandre White as well uh, because of the fact that Zaquandre had experience playing running back, so he could have been an emergency number four running back if Rasul had left, like I don't think this, I don't think Rasul leaving caught the staff off guard. But now that Rasul and White are both gone, it probably makes sense to take it back for depth purposes this year. Even though initially you, you didn't plan to, or you, you didn't really feel like you wanted to take it back in this class. Um, you know, he's a speedster, but never really ended up doing a whole lot uh, at Florida State. So he transfers out, and uh, you know we have uh, we have some questions now. Uh, about uh, quarterback transfers, and this was probably our most popular question of the week by by oh, far. Yeah, absolutely. A uh, question or a, a kind of a 
uh, mixed version of all the questions that we got goes as follows. Why is it Florida State getting official visits from these new quarterback transfers? Miami got Hurts uh, and Martell and didn't even and not even a mention of FSU from either. Martell is visiting U of L. Are we just not trying for a graduate transfer? Are we really that unattractive? We can't be more unattractive than U of L, right? I like the kind of right there at the end. Okay, so let, let's break this down. Why isn't Florida State getting official visits from these grad transfers? I'm going to split these two kids into totally different categories because they belong in totally different categories. Tate Martell is not a grad transfer. He's a regular transfer. Florida State already took a transfer this year whom they like in quarterback Jordan Travis from Louisville. We don't know if he'll be eligible. I assume he'll try to apply for a waiver given the treatment that that he had there at Louisville. I don't know if, if he'll be successful in that. But – this idea, why isn't Tate Martell giving Florida State a look? I've asked every single person, I think, or you have, from the Twitter account on, on the Nolcast thing, where are you Where are you seeing that, that Florida State wanted Martell, right? Like, is somebody legitimate reporting this, or is this just, you know, the blind leaving the blind with Twitter nonsense again? And in this case, I, I think that's just the blind leading the blind. I have no indication at least as of tonight, that Florida State wants Tate Martell. Maybe that changes, but I kind of doubt it. He's not at all in the same category of Hurts. I actually had an Ohio State guy tell me that Martell was not likely to be the starter before Fields came, if you can believe that or not. Now, maybe that's some sour grapes, but this is not a person who would, I, I think, like he's not one of the Ohio State guys that I, that I identify as you know, just some huge Buckeye fan, right? Uh, he'll tell me negative stuff about the program as well, so I, I trust him. And so that, to me, was very interesting. You know, Martell was a kid, just from my, my opinion of him as a, high, as a recruit, I thought he was a tremendous high school player. But because of his size, I did not think he was, you know, quite as projectable to the college level. And he was not your standard five-star recruit. And at the time, he was, you know, a lot of people early on in his high school career thought he was the best thing since sliced bread. And I was just not, not quite as big of a fan. Because I was like, Man, you know, you don't see superstar kids – Looked like him too often. Uh, you know, I don't think he had the arm that Baker Mayfield did. I mean, he doesn't have the athleticism that, that Kyler Murray has. And so, I, as far as I know, Florida State has not tried to go after Tate Martell, and, and I don't know that they should. Now, on the other hand, Jalen Hurts is a grad transfer. I was actually told by guys on staff throughout the year that we need a guy, quote, like, like a Jalen Hurts to run around and be able to score some points in the red zone behind this offensive line. I know for a fact that Florida State very badly wanted Jalen Hurts, and there's no doubt in my mind they yeah, went after made, made a real effort. They were, mentioned, they were mentioned in a lot of articles for him. Ultimately, he's taking three visits. There, There's a, a thing that each of those schools have that Florida State does not have. And I'm going to go over those things right now, and, and I – I actually wrote this this response back to a, a reader named, uh, I think it was Alex I wrote this back to. I said, hey, just, to me, this makes all the sense in the world. I think I think once you read it, you, you'll agree. And he was like, oh, man, that's, yeah, okay, I totally get it now. So I have run, by, run this by somebody. I think this makes sense. With Oklahoma, you know, I was told Jalen's dad wants him to go to Oklahoma. They believe he'll be an NFL guy, like an NFL passer. I don't uh, personally, but if you're going to go somewhere like that, and you, or you're going to go somewhere to prove your mettle as an NFL passer, there is not a better place to go, in my opinion, than Oklahoma, right? I mean, they have the last two Heisman Trophy winners, literally. 
come from that offense. It's very close to your home in Dallas. Your parents can drive to the games every week. And and I, I look, there's no reason for him not to go to Oklahoma if Oklahoma will take him and if he can be kind of guaranteed a starting spot there. Florida State it just doesn't offer that. If if look, there's every reason for Florida State to want him. Jalen Hurts can get Florida State from seven to eight or from eight to nine wins projected in this coming year. He would do it primarily with his legs, some throwing, but it, it, he's not going to get a whole lot of NFL development behind this offensive line. They need him to kind of be a, a plus one win player for them by going all out scramble mode, in my opinion. That is extremely attractive to Florida State. That may not be quite as attractive to Jalen Hurts. Like, is that how you want to spend your final year? If I'm Jalen Hurts, there's no way in hell I choose Florida State right now. Just being honest with y'all. Would you? Well, not, I mean, come on, common sense. Certainly wise. not what the NFL is looking for you to uh, clear up on in your final year of college. Yeah. Now, the other two teams, Maryland and Miami, they have something that Florida State also does not have. And it's not necessarily a better team because I think those teams are, are fairly even level-wise. Continuity. Existing relationship. Yeah with a coach who coached him this year, who is now at those two schools. At Maryland, the new head coach is Mike Loxley, who was just the offensive coordinator at Bama. At Miami, the new offensive coordinator is Dan Enos, who was just Jalen's quarterback coach, worked on his motion all year, and made him a little bit better of a passer. Now, before we get the obvious question, well, do you think Miami made a better offensive coordinator higher than Florida State? Absolutely not. No. Football-wise, I think Browse by far the best hire you could have made. There's no real doubt in my mind. But in taking those three visits, I look, if you're going to choose a school that's not very good right now, choose one where you have real continuity with the coaching staff who already understands your game, your strengths, your weaknesses, can, can really call a game to fit you because they have that relationship. And if you if you can get the Oklahoma job, then to me, this is – and play close to your family, this is a no-brainer. Go play for Oklahoma for, for one year. You can see why Florida State doesn't fit into that, and yet you can also see why Florida State would very badly want Jalen Hurts. This idea they didn't go after him hard enough is nonsense. They were all out on him, regardless of what DeAndre Francois did. Take uh, time here to thank our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, Madison Social, Central, and Township are teaming up to uh, – Throw their own little Tallahassee Gasparilla coming up here. So this will be Saturday, January 26th, bud. It'll be going on from 4 to 8 p.m., uh, though I have a feeling it may run a little bit later on into the evening. While pirates are invading Tampa, we, as a For the Table Restaurant Group, will be assembling our own crew of pirates. On January 26th, we are hosting the first Tallahassee Gasparilla Pirate Bar Crawl. You order a drink from us as township Madison Social and Centrale, and collect a different pirate accessory, eye patch, bandana, beads. After you collect all three, put them on to redeem your free drink. Good for a select free drink at location of your choice. So if you can't afford to be down in Tampa, For the Table Restaurant Group has the second best option, which is their upcoming Gasparilla Pirate Crawl. That sounds awesome, man. I'm sure they'll be celebrating that. At all three of those excellent establishments there in Tallahassee, Madison Social and the Ford Table Restaurant Group has been a longtime sponsor of ours, and we very much appreciate that. All right, bud. I think we did our best to give uh, as good of an idea as to the Hurts situation and how that played out and why Florida State fans might not want to concern themselves too much as to whether or not they're uh, 
name ever gets associated with Tate Martell. Uh, one name that came up in the process of that conversation about Hertz is uh, last year's quarterback, uh, DeAndre Francois. So since the last time we recorded, I know that this was something that was mentioned, that he was going back into classes, but he's actually started classes uh, at Florida State again. These are undergraduate classes, which uh, are an interesting uh, designation. And um, I guess we'll just pause here real briefly to have a conversation as to what this means for 12 or whether or not this is uh, some kind of telltale sign that he's your starting quarterback next year. Yeah, um, so interesting that he announced that he was coming back, quote-unquote, on like an hour, I think it was, after Jalen Hurts was announced in the transfer portal. (laughs) So, uh, Don't ever change. Don't ever change, DeAndre. Don't. On brand. That is on brand for for Francois, man. Um, And and those of you who are not blocked by him on Twitter can uh, can still see it. Uh, Although, hey, I can't hate on the guy for blocking people on Twitter. Um, If you get the verified Twitter, by the way, I think Twitter will now auto-block people for harassment, which is cool. Because uh, there were some people that used to tweet me that I hadn't got around to blocking yet, that now I, I was like, huh, could have sworn this guy would have would have you know, tweeted something ridiculous at me today. And it's like, oh, he's blocked. Huh. So, anyway, um, you know, it's because he didn't graduate. He obviously can't grad transfer out. Um, there's definitely people on staff who did not expect him to be around. Uh, for uh, for spring or fall, I know pretty much all the major websites as well have asked like, how is this going to work in fall? Like, is he going to be on the team? Or excuse me, how's this going to work in spring? Is he going to be on the team come fall? You know, if you don't expect him to be on the team come fall, do you give him reps in the spring? And they're going to have to have a talk. I, I think about this like, hey, uh, you know, are you expecting to be here in the fall? Because I know for sure there's one SC school. That, that's been asking about him, mm-hmm. and they, they would really, really like him. Uh, they would have certainly liked if he could have graduated and, and maybe could have could have made a, made a better pitch at him if he had put his name into the, the portal as a grad transfer. Um, but I guess we're going to have to see what happens. We did discuss last week how, look, it's probably a good idea for Kendall Bryles to see him, you know, even though it's mainly the same offense they were running last year. Maybe Bryles will see something different in him and uh, – and be able to take a look and say, okay, I actually think I can do this, this, and this with him. And we also don't know how he's going to be, you know, a, a year and a half removed from that patella surgery, which is typically uh, a really serious surgery. So potentially not all bad with this. You know, it, I don't know how the move affects James Blackman. Also, a lot of people are like, oh, would, would Florida State have gotten Hurts if uh, if Francois hadn't hadn't decided to come back? No. I, look, knowing what we know about how hard Florida State went after Jalen Hurts, I can basically guarantee you that Jalen coming back had, or excuse me, that that Francois coming back had nothing to do with Hurts. If 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 Hurts wanted to come here, he would be the starter whether Francois is on the on the roster or not because of his mobility and because of the things you can do with his legs, which they badly need behind an offensive line as bad as this one is. Period. Francois was not beating him out whether or not he stayed. It doesn't matter. And I'm very confident that Florida State staff did not fail to make that clear, right? Like, hey, we need you. And yet, obviously, for the reasons we just, uh, you know, we just went over, um, they are not going to get Jalen Hurts, it appears. So that's the Francois talk. I guess we'll see what they decide to do with him 
you know, there are some people who really like him in the fan base, and there are some people who, you know, think he's a poor leader and uh, you know not not that great. I I don't think he's terrible, but I also don't think he's uh, like good, you know, necessarily. And I'm not sure he's a great fit for what they do offensively. But this is, you know, this is their call. It'll be interesting to see how they manage this. I I, I think I'd almost go with kind of a clean start, but I, I think I know your feelings on this as well. <laughs> Indeed, uh, so much so that I will uh, spare our listeners the uh, time of listening to me uh, restate the way that I feel about this situation. And with that, we'll just jump straight into uh, into their question, into their questions, bud. So the first one uh, was submitted by Greg. Greg asked, how many games does the 2013 team win with the 2018 offensive line? How many games does the 2018 team win with the 2013 offensive line? What an excellent question. Uh, I'm going to pull up the Florida State 2018 and Florida State 2013 schedules. And then I will make some kind of rough calculation in my head as to how many games over replacement level. First of all, that 2013 offensive line was pretty good. All, all five of those guys ended up in the NFL at some point. And a couple of them are still in the league. Very good offensive line. Absolutely. I think Mat- Matias and Jackson washed out with injury, but they were both on NFL teams for a while at least. Um, Matias being the shortest, and I think he was with the Titans. Yeah, Matias uh, and, just didn't translate. But uh, and Jackson, like you said, got injured. Jackson was a you don't have to go back and and talk about how good of an offensive lineman Jackson was. It was just a a very very solid line uh, with some some kids that uh, made a little bit of money doing it. So and oddly enough, Bobby Hart's the one that's uh, going to cash the most. Well, yeah, we'll see. The the Hart and. Uh, Hart and the kid from Colquitt County uh, are the are the two Irving, that are still yeah. uh, making making money, but uh, absolutely. Okay, so this year games you lost that I think you probably would have won had you had that 2013 offensive line. Hokies, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt, right? I mean, is there any chance you lose Virginia Tech if, if you have that 2013 offensive line? I, I really don't think so. No, I, I think uh, I, I chalk that one up as a win. At Syracuse, they they did get blown out by Syracuse, but at the same time, that was really that was probably the, the offensive line's worst game of the year. It was right. I mean, yeah. I mean, certainly versus the level of competition that they were facing. Yeah, it was it was the most uh, comedic inability to even touch someone that uh, we saw all year from from them. So, yeah that that was the game where even though we don't really trust the PFF ratings, you know. That was the game where they were most disappointing. I'm, I think I could probably give them Syracuse. Or at least, well, okay. Probably probably one and a half. I'd actually probably out, give them in retrospect. I'd probably give them Syracuse before I gave them Virginia Tech, uh, the more that I think about this. Okay. And then at Miami, to me, there's no doubt. Undoubtedly. I mean, Undoubtedly. Really no doubt. At NC State, no, your, your defense played very poorly that day. Um, Florida is probably the other one where, where you would you potentially have a shot. Uh, so that they, they went five and seven. I think you're probably two and a half wins better. So to me, that's either that, that's that's seven and five or eight and four. Most likely, that's a huge difference. By the way, I mean, like like that two and a half wins for for, for one position group being changed out is. Is is an enormous difference. Now, the 2013 team. Let's go regular season only. I would say on this. So they went, they went 12 and 0 
in the regular season um, against a schedule that was really weak, uh, but they did hammer it. So, okay, if you gave him this offensive line and the games played out roughly how they did with the exception of how we know games play out behind this offensive line, Pittsburgh is still a win, I think, because Pitt just wasn't scoring. Obviously, Nevada Bethune are wins. Now at BC, yeah, that's that's the first one that I was do, really thinking. Do you about get the comeback head. at BC, or, or do you screw up? I think you probably take a loss at BC. I do. Yeah, I, I think it's very possible. You, you certainly don't ever get the chance to throw the pass at halftime to Kenny Shaw. No, no, definitely not. Um, at Clemson, that Clemson team later went on to I think beat the heck out of Oklahoma or Ohio State. Uh, and was a really good team. They, they also – the margin in that game was not reflected by the difference in those two teams. Florida State had a lot of turnover luck in that game early on. It really made that thing snowball. And they, they were able to throw you know, a decent number of deep balls on Clemson, which you definitely couldn't do with, with an offensive line. I think I give them a loss at Clemson. Uh, probably there. Miami, I think you still beat because Miami's offense was really poor. And if you remember that Miami game, Miami really wasn't trying to win. They were trying to keep the score close. Uh, that Florida team that they played – was the team that was basically playing like a walk-on at quarterback, if I recall. Remember that? That was that year that, that Muschamp got fired because they went 4-8. Uh, and eight. You, Yeah, they were coming fresh off a loss to Georgia Southern. That Florida team was probably the worst team I think anybody has had in the state of Florida among the big three in my lifetime, with the exception of the Miami probation teams. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I think you're right. So – you know, Wake Forest, no problem. Syracuse, God, that was a bad Syracuse team that year. Uh, no problem. Idaho, I mean, they, they won 80 to 14. So I think you're looking at, uh, you're looking at probably 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, most likely, with a lot fewer blowouts. I mean, that, that that's the real difference to me. It's not the loss column, it, it, it's the margin column. What do you think? You got anything else on that? Uh, yeah, I think, that? Prob- I, I think you probably end up suffering more like two to three losses. I, I think your the blowout point is is uh, is appropriate. You probably sustain one or two more injuries. That I, I know we all uh, remember this and talk about this, but the the injury luck in 2013 was absolutely incredible. And if you're playing in more contested games, then uh, I think that probably starts to take a toll a little bit over the course of the season. But uh, yeah, it was a nice little, nice little question, Greg. We appreciate it, and uh, great to be able to uh, kind of sample the uh, the sweet and the sour there of the uh, memories of 2013, and those of us that are still trying to process exactly the, some of the horrors that we experienced in 2018. Uh, David asked, maybe mentioned previously, but concerns about who can pass rush off the edge in 2019. Looks bleak behind Kane Doe, especially if Peters moves to linebacker like has been rumored. Okay, so uh, first of all, I, I did ask Dave this this idea of like as has been rumored. I, I don't like playing the as has been rumored game, right? Like there's enough good media out there. Let's give people credit if somebody reported this or if it's just Twitter nonsense. Let's just leave that to Twitter. Now, yeah, you need Kane Doe not being a player for you this year. Of any of any significance was a huge deal. They needed Kendo to be a, a decent player for them this year. He didn't give you really anything. You need Josh Kendo to be an impact guy next year if this defense is going to take the next step. I and mean, you need your when you sign a five star, you need him to play like a five star, not like a zero star, which is kind of what he's been so far in his career. And yet he's definitely flashed some ability, you know, and, and is still a strong student and all that stuff. So 
you, you hope that he can be healthy and, and out there on a full-time basis. Obviously, Janarius Robinson's a guy that, that you hope to continue developing. Was was always to us, I think, and, and really to everybody who we talked to, more of a, a longer-term, higher-ceiling bet. You can go back and listen to the podcast from a year or two ago where we kept saying, you know, I don't think he's an early-impact guy despite his high ranking. You know, his high ranking to me, and, and I think to you too, was more about his long-term potential impact, you know? Um, so that's just, just something to look at in mind there. Peters, I, I think you need Peters as a pass rusher, to be honest. I, I, I don't think you need to move him to linebacker, so I don't know really where that's uh, – where that's coming from. I mean, we'll see. I know he played some snaps at linebacker in practice, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kando and, and, and Janarius are, are the two guys they're really going to look to. And we'll see what you got, what, what you get out of Dennis Briggs. I feel like you're probably better depth wise on the interior this year than you are on, on the exterior. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. You really are. Uh, Don Tavis has always been somebody that, uh, or excuse me, uh, Janarius has always been somebody that's just, you know, he's one of the guys that we talk about first off the bus. He's just a, a physical specimen and probably slightly uh, inflated his uh, recruiting rankings because of that. But uh, a guy that hopefully can come and uh, click and he can put together a year. But a lot of question marks uh, behind those first two and what uh, what you get out of that position and the development that takes place from this point to the end of August will be uh, – one of the things that we talk about, focus on, and try to search uh, for as to who else emerges at the defensive end position. Uh, Eli asks, with the Baylor system, it seems prototypical offensive tackles are not used. Is that a scheme design or just a recruiting obstacle Baylor could not overcome? Feels like FSU is in on more guards than tackles, but that could be uh, more of a recruiting issue. Yeah, I, I don't – that's definitely not any kind of scheme design, I don't think. I don't know where that, that idea is coming from. I've had a couple people ask me that, but I I, I don't know, man. I, that's, uh, that's not something I've, I've seen as far as from anybody on the staff or, or anything, you know, anybody at Baylor told me. Uh, it's more likely just something that Baylor, you know, they couldn't really get prototypical offensive tackles uh, to come there, much like Florida State. I was so, going to hey, say, that's, that's something that's we're awesome. used to operating under, so uh, we're, we're, we're good there. <laughs> We can sometimes get them committed. We just can't fully get them through the process. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like FSU is in on more guards than tackles. Uh, you know, I, I don't know about that. Um, you know, Ira and uh, and and uh, what's his name? The, the kid they just offered from uh, from Houston, um, uh, Cedric Claiborne. They both likely project as tackles. So I I, I don't know. I just don't know that I agree with any of Eli's question, uh, but except for this, it, it is encouraging that they've been able to make it work somewhat uh, with with kind of a mishmash offensive line group. That's probably what you'll have uh, this upcoming season, most likely. So yeah, it is good. Now, of course, they're they're playing you know better defensive lines than you would play at at Houston, so a mishmash group won't work as well. But it's encouraging that they've been able to work with that kind of stuff uh, before. Over under, Kevin asks, Trevor Lawrence winning 1.5 Heisman trophies. Okay, uh, I, I got to go under on this. I, I think this is a bad number. If you were a bookmaker and you actually set this, you'd, you'd be fired because you're basically asking something to happen, which has only happened once in the history of college football, which is a player winning uh, two Heismans, which Archie Griffin did back in the – what decade did he play in? 70s. What years was it? Like 
Early 70s? Uh, I believe it was right in the middle when he's 76, 77, some, somewhere in that window. Damn, you're good, dude. Yeah, he was drafted in 76. Nice. Okay. Uh, also, he played for the Jacksonville Bulls. Never heard of that team. They were a USFL team. After he, after he got done with the league, he, he played in USFL. I did not know Jacksonville had a USFL team. Interesting. It, their logo looks similar to the old USF logo, uh, except different colors. Their colors were like orange, pinkish, and like magenta. That's a that's a good blend. Terrible combination. <laughs> that's a good blend, uh, now, look, Jacksonville. I, Absolutely. I, I do have the filter on my screen here, which which filters out blue light, and I just removed it. Nope, nope. Jacksonville, your your colors for USFL team were still black, orange, pink, and like a magenta uh, purple. So, all right. Well, it's uh, it's real easy to be the uh, prisoner of the moment right now with Trevor Lawrence and. Uh, there's there's been no no podcast out there that's more consistently lauded praise on Lawrence for as, as long as we have, and so it may sound a little bit like we're speaking out of both sides of our mouth right now when we say this. But and Bud's certainly more the the gambling man and the analytical fellow that he is than I am. But you don't you don't frequently uh, go play some bets that have only happened once in the in the history of the sport and end up on the right side of it. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty bad. Okay, let's change this up. If I made the number one, what are you doing? Meaning he wins one trophy, I would take that bet in a in a quick minute. Yeah. So you 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 would take the over on one. So one would be a push. Do you think it's safer he wins zero or safer he wins two? I think it's probably safe. Again, I'll I'll default to history and say it's safer that he wins zero. I I feel like he's he's such a as a freshman such a already such a dominant part of people's college football thought process like Herschel Walker really w- had his best year at Georgia when he was a freshman and he was never going to win the award because I mean freshman had a hell of a time winning the trophy ever and certainly in the early 80s uh, nobody was going to get the freshman and trophy uh, and he almost won that as like a career achievement award uh, is junior year at Georgia and I, I would think at this point it would be hard to supplant Trevor Lawrence from people's mind uh, just with how physically good he is, how much of a unique character he is aesthetically, and uh, the fact that it looks like Clemson isn't exactly uh, falling from from the uh, cliffs of the college football world right now. I, I totally agree with you there. Man, if, if the number was one, I I think I would go under just because I get, I get push protection, you know? With, with him winning exactly one, and like you said, I, I really do think that, that zero – is more likely than two. One and a half is is a bad number. We, we, we have to spike that, unfortunately. Looking at the 2019 schedule, which, by the way, will be out tomorrow afternoon. So Wednesday afternoon, the schedule should be out. Who are your sure wins, your toss-ups, and your long-shot wins on FSU's 2019 schedule? Keep in mind, we haven't seen this team play a, a lick of spring ball yet. Yeah, so. I, I'm going to say, I might have a real hard time penciling in anybody as a sure win right now. ULM? No, in Doke, I'm, 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 to me that, that that's a sure win. I, I don't think ULM is very good. I, I'd like to see it. All right, Alabama State. Yeah, yeah, at home. Yeah, that's a sure win. So you get Syracuse in Doke after the beatdown they gave you this year. That's, that can't be that can't be counted as a sure win. Your sure losses at Clemson. Feeling pretty good about that one. About that being a loss at Florida. 
got to see what Florida does, but but they did just hand hand it to you. So you know, probably a, a, a sure loss there. Other sure wins. I man, I, I think you'll. I think both teams will be improved this year, but you're already better than Louisville this year. Louisville comes to Doak. Uh, depending on the timing of there, I, I'd be uh, I'd be more apt to put that in in the you know sure win or, or very likely win category. You know, and you still beat Wake Forest this year, despite the fact that you know you, you weren't any good. That's probably it as far as as far as my my sure wins and, and my my sure losses. The rest of them I feel like are very much in that sort of uh, toss up category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh- I don't have anything as a sure win other than the the Alabama State game or whatever school you listed there, and I would only have Clemson as a sure loss. I I, I would uh, need to see more from Florida and the the way that that game swings back and forth each year. Uh, not not quite ready to put that in as a uh, a certain loss either. So, podcast also brought to you by Resolution Home Loans. Resolution Home Loans is a Noel owned company. Chad and Shannon want to hook you up with the best possible loan experience. And uh, Ingram, we got we got two new commits in the boat, which I believe, I, I think that's our 14th and 15th loan made to a Nolcast listener by, by Resolution Home Loans. You know, we, we, when we met with with Chad and Shannon, you know, back in the day, it was like, okay. You know, we only want to want to deal with people who, who we actually know and, and and trust. And I looked at the reviews online, and and they were real genuine. I mean, we talked to some people who had used them, really liked it, and. You know, the feedback we've had from from Nolcast listeners with Resolution Home Loans has just been overwhelming, man. Everybody's been extremely positive. The the, the hit rate they've had on it when, when people call, they're extremely satisfied. They they, they don't seem to leave at all. And eight four four FSU loan. That's eight four four FSU loan or FSU Home Loans dot com. That's FSU Home Loans dot com. Get your home loan today. Uh, I'm about to be a number 16 through them. So soon you're going to have uh, me giving actual personal testimonials as to how awesome these guys are and, and having gone through the process and just I can tell you how helpful Shannon has been throughout it. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or, or you're looking to, to upgrade or, or, or downsize or, or, or what have you, uh, you're cheating yourself if you're not giving these guys a call. And, and if you're a realtor, they've had a couple of realtors now as well who are listeners of the show and and they're able to refer their clients uh, to these guys. And it's it's been been really good business. And, and most importantly, our listeners have been helped out. So 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Check them out. Ingram, uh, what is your opinion on Austin Kendall transferring from Oklahoma? And if he does, could FSU be a landing destination for a minute? We, we just want all, all the transfer quarterbacks, we right? Want, I, I'm guessing. We want in on the transfer market. Absolutely. Uh, and I think... And really, this is uh, like kind of more the way I felt about Tate Martell. I don't even know if the fan base really wants these kids. They just want Florida State listed with them. You know, they just want to think that uh, that Florida State's out there is a legitimate option, and that there might be something out there that could uh, could you know bring instant instant change. Or uh, you know, obviously, a lot of people aren't exactly married to the idea of wanting to see 12 out there is correct me if i'm wrong bud but is is auburn not thought to be the the odds on leader for kendall i actually have not checked on that i just i don't think there's any real connection between tagger staff and austin kendall apparently apparently auburn is uh is being rumored as the as the top uh, top guy there kendall threw for like a million yards in north carolina he was considered a uh like a, a medium to low four star back in in like the 2015 class, 
I don't know why Auburn's going after this guy. Maybe, maybe they like him. Now, West Virginia would make a whole lot of sense, by the way, mm-hmm. for him, given how much they throw the ball and, of course, the fact they have Jack Allison as their apparent heir apparent. And, uh, look, Dana Holgerson left, <laughs> left that program, and so he probably didn't like what they had in there, uh, and he left it for Houston. So, I, no, I, I don't think Florida State is likely to go after uh, Austin Kendall Look, grad transfer to me is very different than uh, than than regular transfer, as it should be due due, due to the immediate eligibility uh, issue. So, Dory says, I want to hear about linebackers. We've taken a few. Who can start next year? Uh, and what's up with Jaden Woodby? Will he uh, will he start at linebacker or move back? Well, he he kind of played that star linebacker position this year, which I anticipate that he'll keep playing this year. I, I do think he's a pretty good fit for it. You know, given the fact that they asked that position to to support the run, as well as as have some zone coverage responsibilities underneath. Look, we know that they like him at Rice a lot as far as his ability. Want to see him bounce back fully healthy. Dontavius Jackson made football wise probably the right decision to to come back to school. I, I don't think he was going to be a high draft pick by any stretch of, of the imagination. Adonis Thomas is is not likely to factor in. You know, to the equation, but I, I think they should be improved at linebacker due to it being year two in the system. You know, to having some some bodies maybe maybe grow up a little bit. Amari Gaynor is a guy who was hurt last year, but you know we, we know they like his athleticism. You know, I, I think Deloach is a guy because he got a lot more jack than I thought he would be, who might be able to play early a little bit. Other than that, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to see how these other guys develop. It it, it could be uh, it could be an improved unit this this year, and I I hope it is. It really should be. Defensive tackle looks like a potential problem, writes Michael. Do you guys agree? No, I, I, I don't love where we are at defensive tackle, but that's certainly not at the top of the list of my concerns when I look over this depth chart. And uh, It could be a 2020 problem. Agree. Very much agree. But not, to me, not a 2019 problem because you still have Marvin Wilson and you still have Corey Durden. I do not think in Jimbo's last class and in Willie's first two classes that he has done a good enough job of signing like elite level defensive linemen. Granted, the program's been going downhill for like three or four years now, so those guys typically don't sign with those types of programs. But when I talk about difference makers in the class, right, that, that that's what position that I'm talking about. Like I, I see guys who can be good players for you, but I don't know if I see guys who can be huge Clemson style defensive you know tackle difference makers, uh, which is a concern of mine with, with with the job this staff has done so far. In recruiting, so they're going to have to do a, a better job of that in in 2020 if they're going to be around and have some success in the long term at Florida State. If they don't, then that, that'll be one of the reasons why they they end up you know moving it on down the road. Uh, but no, for 2019, I'm not worried about defensive tackle. 2020, it, it could be a worry. Don writes, uh, assuming nothing else changed and the refs got the call right, and Florida State beats UM, wins bowl, and goes seven and six. How much does that change the perception of the team, season, and offseason moves? Think Bell still bolts, problem still the same, offensive line still horrible, and does the quarterback position still need answering? Okay, uh, I'm just going to answer these quickly, and if you disagree, jump in. Uh, I think it would change the perception of the team um, a good bit. Yeah, if the team goes seven and six, I mean that would be another. You know, I mean obviously winning the bowl. Yeah, I think it would have them on a, a much more positive footing. I think it would have justified the, the results. Would have sort of justified the, the approach that Willie Taggart took, which which was to play for a bowl and and not work in more young guys, which is a criticism I think we had of him 
really since kind of since the Syracuse game in some ways, which was also to me a real turning point in the season when they should have realized that they needed to more quickly move on to some other targets because once you get blown out by Syracuse, you have to think you're not likely to make a bowl, although it's certainly possible. Would Bell have still bolted? Yeah, I, I think so. I don't think that relationship was was real great. The offensive line, yes. Uh, the call being right against Miami would not have impacted my opinion of the offensive line in any way. So, yeah, I think it would still be horrible. And you would probably still not feel great about your quarterback situation. So that, that's an interesting question from Donna. But I do think it would help you perception-wise and would probably have a small help in recruiting. Uh, any, any insights about the, about the athletic director search? No, I, I I think they're probably pretty happy with with David Coburn for for now at least. I think they are. I, I get that impression more and more. I talk to people that would uh, that would be in a place to kind of get their feel for what's going on in that part of the Florida State athletic world. I'll read this real quickly, Bud. That was sent to me uh, by a Florida State booster. He's not never going to be confused with uh, Al Dunlap, but is a mutual friend of ours, Bud, and has a pretty good idea as to what's going on. Uh, he texted me this morning. Uh, I had to ask Florida State about this since I read and I needed more information, but uh, Florida State has set up the Athletic Influence, uh, excuse me, the Athletic Excellent Fund. It allows you to maintain status for parking away games and postseason games. They said uh, the new tax deduction exclusion is for home games or benefits tied to that donation. Uh, this is a new fund that gets around that to an extent, but uh, they still encourage me to consult my tax professional uh, his thoughts are, is this is what happens when you have a CPA running the athletic department. So uh, I think Florida State's trying to be creative, as all schools are right now, with uh, the impact that uh, the tax law is tied to donations and the fact that they're not necessarily a write-off. I think that they have a guy in that position right now that they are more and more allowing to act as though he's not an interim, but uh, more like the full-time athletic director, which is something that we've been saying on this podcast for a couple months now. I think I I totally agree, man. I I think he'll likely be it for a while. And uh, hey, creative solutions to problems. Awesome. You know, I'm a big baseball guy and and I work with people who work with pro sports and the, the, the creative ways they come up with to solve their problems are, uh, are really fun. And, you know, college athletics is a little bit, a little bit less able to do that because it really is kind of – there's no salary cap in college, right? I mean, other than nobody's going to pay their coach $15 million or anything like that. So it is more money dependent as far as what you can spend. Hey, that's cool. If yeah. they can do that, If you're awesome. a booster, uh, inquire with your rep about the uh, Athletic Excellence Fund and what exactly that would allow you to do and maybe some creative ways around uh, recently modified laws. Don asked – Assuming, excuse me, Don, I've already uh, put that question out there. I think we're on Bo. Bo was our next uh, questionnaire. You're correct. I was wondering if you could trade out Florida State's home football game environment for any other. <laughs> oh, this is going to make people real happy when we answer this question. Uh, if you could trade out Florida State's home football game environment for any other school in the country, who would you choose? I'm going to get some brownie points right here. LSU is the easy answer for this uh, because they, and, and look, it probably is the one you were going to pick too. Number one, their tailgate scene is so much better than what you got in Tallahassee. And and look, I know all these SEC fans that you know are like, oh, SEC tailgating. That is BS. A lot of the, a lot of the SEC schools tailgating are not that special. LSU, on the other hand, it, it really is cool, man. Like, like you walk around there, 
people are, are, are whipping up like really fancy meals and, and like, you know, crawfish boils and all, and all this stuff. It, it's, it's pretty awesome. Get the gumbo, you do all that. Uh, it is a, 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 a raucous atmosphere. Uh, and then the, yet they're in the stands. They, they, you know, they, they do really well with their kind of, you know, synchronized cheers and, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's night in Death Valley, you know, uh, the, the, the sun is set upon the westward sky and, and all that, all that jazz. That, that's a really cool atmosphere. If you've not gone to that, I, I really do encourage you to, uh, to check that out. 2019 uh, X could be a great year to do that if your home, if the team you normally root for is not that good. So, but yeah, LSU's atmosphere, I think because of the combination of in and out of the stadium, uh, would, would be the one I'd want to swap with if I had to swap. But, Man, look, Doak is a special place, and and for a, a program that doesn't have such a long history like Florida State, you know they they do a, a tremendous job there. I do think you should open up the tailgate lots for uh, for longer, though. I I don't I don't like their decision to to go more you know more like some of these schools and, and only have them open for for a couple hours. You know, LSU I think would riot if you took away their their tailgating and, and the ability to to set up in the morning. Right and, and tailgate all day is a major mistake in my opinion uh, by by Florida State and, and I think it really hurts the tailgating atmosphere. I think that's a great answer and Doak is very special, particularly considering the the length of time that you've had to operate as a football school. If there was anything I could do differently, and obviously this is uh, out of the question, but. If Doak could just be shaped in a manner that's slightly different, you lose an awful lot of the noise and everything else because of the kind of bowl shape that Doak can get loud and Doak can be as uh, as energetic an environment as there is in college football. But it's not, you know, quite that stadium with two different sides that are built, you know, straight up into the air and you lose some of the uh, the sound reverberation and it's just uh, the way the stadium's designed. So. Uh, that's that's my only kind of comment on uh, if if the atmosphere could be uh, different in any way, shape, or form. All right, uh, what do we got here? Uh, let's go with one more. Let, let's let's end on this one, and, and we'll pick up on these questions more next week. Just a, a tremendous response this week. We're going to have an hour and a half podcast. Basically, this is uh, this is a lot more. Hell, we we could almost split this into two episodes. But here we go. Kyle asks. Looking at Clemson's championship win and what Dabo has built, is there a good argument for FSU to be patient and stay the course with Coach Taggart? I know FSU is a very different story now than Clemson was then in terms of stature and national notoriety, but Dabo's first few years were nothing to write home about. His work to change the culture of the program is clearly paying dividends, uh, and Willie seems to be on the same track. Love the show and look forward to listening uh, to the new content over the offseason. Kyle, uh, we really appreciate that. Ingram, are, are you as uh, are, are you on board with, with that comp? <laughs> um, it's hard to say exactly. You know, I mean, it, it's well known that Dabo was uh, was pretty close to being terminated uh, at one point and maybe even two different points during his period at Clemson. But Dabo had this great self uh, belief and certainly made some modifications and was willing to give up aspects of control uh, of his program as far as uh, calling plays and just as much of a game day impact as you remember Clemson really for many years should have beat Florida State and they would just coach themselves out of the game Uh, and Dabo had a had a large part in that but Dabo was fairly consistent with his overall major themes wants and goals for the program and there was a kind of a consistent direction that he was going in. And uh, it's too early 
to know exactly how Taggart's going to do, but there's, you know, there's been some areas where kind of he's wavered a little bit, and uh, I think that there's going to need to be a more consistency to achieve what he wants in both his his goals and his message to kind of pair with those goals. So it's too hard to say. It's, it's too early to know for sure, but I I don't know that it's a horrible comparison, but I don't know that comparing Dabo and Willie are necessarily perfect comparison either. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I Look, as far as trying to change the culture, no doubt uh, that there's some things that I think Willie has done a really good job at changing culture. There's some things he still needs to work on changing culture for sure. Dabo is probably a lesson in patience, which I think is extremely important now with the, with the new early signing period because it really does create like a year zero situation for coaches. In fact, I, I have an article coming out on this on SB Nation at some point of, of now we're – we're getting enough data that suggests your your first recruiting class is, is typically really poor if, if you're a new coach under the early signing period rules. And unless you're like a Ryan Day at Ohio State where you take over uh, and, and we're already on staff. And even then, Ohio State's class is, is – it's been forever since Ohio State finished third in their own division in, in recruiting, and yet that's going to happen this year. But yet there's also things you want to see improvement of, right? There were some things Dabo did that – I think internally made some Clemson people encouraged, but not real encouraged. There were a lot of people that wanted him fired there. I think most of the people would tell you that they did not see the turnaround coming. In fact, I had some Clemson friends who were there when Dabo took over, and they were uh, they were not in love with him as far as uh, like they, they loved all the raw raw stuff off the field. And then when it, when, it, when it came time to actually you know win ball games, he, he did struggle in his first couple of years. Man, I'm trying to remember. Including some games on national TV that were really kind of embarrassments, uh, and yet he, he put it together, and, and all the credit is owed to Dabo certainly on that. You know, his, his first year they go nine and five, and next year they take a step back. They go six and seven. Then after that, they, they really went on a, a really nice run. He kind of kind of figured it out. You know, he, he really kind of figured it out in year four. In 2011, he had he had kind of a down FSU team. Uh, they managed to beat when Florida State had, I believe, a quarterback injury in that game. And then that was the year that they got stomped out in the Orange Bowl. That was the the, the, the honk if you put 70 on Clemson. So really his first four years or, or you know, his first three and a half years, he was actually the interim there at Clemson too, if, if people recall. He went four and three as the interim, um, which I do believe being an interim is a big time advantage if you can pull it off because you have a good idea of what's already on staff. There should be not what's on staff, but what's already on the roster, and you've also been able to work, work, you know, work beside and evaluate some of the staff, who you'll keep, who you won't keep, all, all that jazz. So, I, look, I, I can certainly see some parallels, but that's not necessarily instructive, right? There's plenty of coaches who start out like Willie does, or Willie has so far, and and totally failed, and yet there's some who started out poorly and 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 came back to to have a good year. I. I would probably, re- I'd probably rather have a losing record in year one than have a losing record in year two, if I could pick, because one shows a lack of momentum, right? After that 2010 year, a lot of Clemson fans were like, uh, "What the hell, right?" <laughs> Remember that? I mean, that was they they were not happy. Uh, they were all kind of they were all in on Dabo after year one and and, and going going nine and five. Did they lose that that uh, that champion that AC championship game that year? To what Virginia Tech, I think it was in his first year. I'm trying to think who won it from that side of the or was it Georgia Tech? Oh yeah, yeah, it was Georgia. It was Georgia Tech. Uh, won it Georgia Tech in the the championship that they later had taken away from him? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the game down in Raymond James. 
Right. That, that was the one year they, they played – or they played down there two years, but they, they lost 39-34 to, to G-Tech. They also lost by three scores to uh, to South Carolina that year. They they lost at home to, to a, a, a TCU team they thought they should have beaten. They lost uh, to Maryland that year, and they actually lost to Georgia Tech twice. Um, they did blow out Florida State, uh, which was a bad Florida State team there in, in 09. Uh, and then in 10, they really – they they had some real struggles, man. They, it, but but some of their losses were close, right? They they didn't get blown out nearly as much, with the exception of that that the last two games. South Carolina did blow them out again by uh, by four scores. South Florida beat them in the uh, I don't even remember that game at all. Do you remember them losing to South Florida in the in the uh, Charlotte Monarchy Car, Car Care Bowl? I I, I, I don't I don't have any one. recollection of that. They lost thirteen to sixteen to Florida State when Florida State had its backup quarterback in the game and EJ Manuel. They lost to Auburn. That's the uh, uh, is that the Dustin Hopkins game? Uh, yes, actually. And uh, they lost to North Carolina. They lost to Miami. So that yeah, that was their their seven loss season in Dabo's year two. Look, this is a good example of why there are certain indicators you can look at, but you really shouldn't judge a coach based on win loss record before you get like at least three seasons of, of games. Other stuff is better to look at for sure. Bud will uh, turn our attention now to basketball. It's uh. Saturday was about as big of a event that Florida State basketball was hosted and certainly had as like big time feel uh, as far as an atmosphere uh, that that building has produced by now. You know, we're certainly not going to dedicate this podcast to reliving every possession of that game. And, and certainly people are familiar with how it ended, but we would be foolish not to devote some time in looking back at what that game meant. And maybe if you can extrapolate anything throughout the rest of the season. Uh, and then we also have to talk about a real kind of disappointing but perhaps predictable uh, loss at Pitt. So, as always, we're very fortunate to be able to be joined by uh, Matthew, Tomahawk Nation's one of two expert uh, basketball analysts. And uh, back again after popular demand, Matthew, and look forward to uh, have a little basketball conversation here. Wish we could be talking about a great win after Duke, but I am happy to be here and, and let's uh, let's get to it. All right, guys. So. Obviously, Ingram talked about the crowd. That that really was – I mean, was it the best crowd of all time at, at, at the Doak? I mean, if not, it's perhaps the best crowd of all time – or excuse me, not at the Doak, but at, at the Tuck. Oh, gosh, I just did the football segment. The best crowd of all time at the Tuck for a loss? Uh, Maybe. Gosh, you're making me – I've been – been going to games in the Tuck now since it was before it was the Tuck. Uh, back when Tim Duncan and Vince Carter were coming to town – uh, certainly the best the best crowd I've seen in five or six years. There was a stretch there in the Tim Pickett days where it seemed like Florida State was storming the court every other week, um, where there was some really kind of just raucous environments when, when, when Florida State was first sort of getting back into sort of being a relevant basketball program again. But that was it was a pretty impressive crowd and and not just the numbers but the kind of the electricity in the air and and the constant oohs and ahs i tell you what they if that kind of crowd showed up for every home game i mean it would you know coach k said it after the game they already are tough to beat at home that would make it even that much more you know more difficult to beat florida state at home i mean that, that was such an impressive job by by, by, by the fans and by the students and it, it stinks that they came up short. And so far, January has been a little bit of a disappointment, probably. Uh, I, I pulled up our audio from the first appearance that you had on the on the show. And um, you know, we, we spoke, hey, if Florida State can get four and two in their first six games in January in, in league play, that'd be awesome. 
you know, if they can go three and three, they'd still be really on a, a, a pretty excellent path. And yet, uh, here they sit at one and three, uh, which was probably what maybe a game worse than expected through the first four. And, and they have you know two winnable games coming up here against Boston College and then hosting Clemson. But uh, what what were your thoughts kind of on on this this first four game start? Yeah, I'd say certainly the team's disappointed. Um, I mean, if, you know, to a man, they'd tell you that they they did not expect to be one and three. I think that it's to your point probably a game short if you just looked at the original four on paper. But a couple things, you know, given the given the injuries to Trent Forrest and Terrence Mann, and and given how just how physical and, and emotionally draining that battle with Duke was. After the Duke loss, you you and I were talking a little bit, but and I mean, I, the Pittsburgh loss seemed pretty easy to see coming. So um, once the Duke game was played, I don't know that one and three was all that <laughs> unexpected. So we'll we'll see. They do have a chance to right the ship, although uh, another quick turnaround. You know, they play Sunday against BC on the road, and then again Tuesday night. Uh, right after that against Clemson. And unfortunately, the, the ACC, th- this is actually, I don't know, something that probably would bother me if I was uh, Coach Hamilton. Clemson doesn't play for five or six days leading up to that game against uh, Florida State. So most teams that have a two-day turnaround, they're playing a team on a two-day turnaround, kind of like if you play on Thursday in college football, the other team didn't have a week off beforehand. But that is not the case with this matchup against Clemson. Yeah, that, that's that's concerning. I got to admit, I DVR'd the game. Uh, I was watching the the second uh, episode of True Detective with my wife, and then you know after getting done with that, uh, it, it, I'm glad that it's kind of returning more to the uh, to the season one roots. By the way, you and but, me both. Yeah, not not that season two was terrible. It just the, the expectations were were so great, and then you know it, it failed to meet them for me at least. But I was following along on Twitter some uh, and, and get a little bit of the evil eye for being on my phone during the episode, and it seemed to me like Florida State was losing due to the officiating, at least according to Twitter. And when I watched it, I I, I can't say that, that all, all the, the Twitter fans are, are totally wrong. I mean, it, you're, you're, you're a basketball expert. I'm, I'm a back, you know, basketball layman. Was the officiating that bad? Was it that slanted? And you're talking about the Pittsburgh game. I, yes. Um, yeah, so <laughs> that's a good question. So was the officiating that bad? I think my answer would be yes. Um, I don't know if that's the same about was it that slanted. Here's the thing, and and this has been talked about by a lot of folks around the country. Um, College basketball, the referees are not full-time referees. And and unfortunately, it produces very inconsistent refing. And, you know, maybe we could have a conversation about whether or not the NCAA should spend, you know, some of their billions and billions of dollars on getting full-time, highly paid refs that are held to a certain standard. But at this point, they're not. And so you get game, some games are called loosely, maybe like the FSU Duke game was. Other games are called very tight. And sometimes that inconsistency will even go from half to half. There were unquestionably some calls in the Pittsburgh game where replay would show that maybe it was an anticipation foul call or maybe they, I don't know what they were looking at, but, you know, it looked like that some block shots were all ball. But once a once a game starts to be called that way, the players have to do a better job of adjusting. And they, they were giving up so much dribble penetration. Again, maybe go back to some of the injuries to a guy like Trent Forrest, but they were giving up the dribble penetration. They then were reaching 
or, or maybe swatting down at the ball. And, and even if they're not making contact in a game that was being called so tightly, it's going to be called a foul every time. And some of those guys just have to recognize that you just have to give, you can't go after every single block shot. That makes sense. So we talked a little bit about expectations and where we might have projected things uh, from the first podcast and certainly pre- or agree with you that in the manner and the way uh, that you lost to Duke and the energy that was taken out of the team in that effort that a, a loss to Pitt in retrospect seems uh, seems maybe not the surprise that we would have thought in a, a bit of time ago. Uh, what do you take away from the past two games as far as commonalities between the two losses and uh, what type of uh, trends, either positive or negative, do you see uh, moving forward at this point and and what we've seen so far through the team and conference play? Yeah. So even not just the last two, I think it's a good question. Not just the last two losses, even going a game before with the Miami uh, win, you know, offensive rebounding has been a major plus um, for the team on the season. They're 16th in the country in terms of grabbing their own misses at uh, over 36%. Um, and they're and they're clipping along at about at that rate as well in in ACC play. So they're not just doing it against poor competition. Um, so that has been a, a big plus. Turnovers have you know we talked about it on the last podcast. Uh, turnovers have continued to to be an issue, and particularly you know they actually have brought the the total number of turnovers down in conference play compared to where they were in non conference play, down by about a percent, but. Early in the game, it has been troublesome. And, you know, Pittsburgh, I think, started off over eight from the field, but they only trailed by four because Florida State turned it over four or five possessions in a row. I really, I'll go back, they're overshoot, they're overpassing, they're over dribbling. Sometimes I feel like, hey, take that, take that great strength of offensive rebounding, shoot the ball when you're open, and then grab half your misses. And, and then that's not even a bad result if you miss, which, they have been doing a lot of missing from the three-point line. As far as the Duke game, there's all sorts of examples where we can point to where, you know, hey, if they had done this, if they had done that, they, they really could have won it. You know, you you, you have the inbounds play. I, and yet, I also watching that, I came away sort of kind of encouraged by, by how Florida State played against the Duke team that is that athletic, and we know the level of coaching Duke has. So I'll just ask you straight out. I mean, did it's kind of another one of these questions we get from Twitter a lot, and we ask for some hoops questions. Uh, and, and this is one we, we discussed beforehand. Did, did Hamilton get out coached against Duke? Did Hamilton get out coached against Duke? Uh, no, he did not. Did did he get out coached on the final inbounds play? Maybe that was a very brilliant uh, design by by Coach K. Not not only the design of the pin down screen and to have all the action going one way towards the basket. Um, and then having, you know, someone kind of trickle out behind the flow, but to do that when you're only down one, you know, it's kind of like running a fake punt, you know, in your own territory. Um, when, if you don't get it, the other team could take the lead, right? Kick a field goal and win the game. So that was a a gutsy call by coach K and, and Florida state didn't execute their defense there. But as far as the overall game is concerned, listen, Hamilton is taking a roster that had been. I think uh, Michael Rogner pointed out on Twitter or after the game or something that, you know, four or five of Duke's players would be the highest ranked recruit on Florida State's team. And, and Hamilton was using the strength that he has, depth, 
and and sending waves of bodies at at Duke in very well timed patterns. You know, stealing minutes for starters here and there. Um, they were able. They recognized the absence of Zion Williamson immediately, and all of a sudden, it starts to be a dunk parade for Florida State at the rim with lobs. And they were much quick, uh, much quicker to adjust to that than Duke was in terms of their defense. So I would say Hamilton's coaching probably allowed Florida State to stay in the game and compete with, with what is really an NBA roster. And unfortunately, a Hall of Fame coach uh, drew up a Hall of Fame inbounds play with with 2.8 seconds to go. Kind of two things here. Number one, Florida State's defense has looked pretty good so far with the rotations at least in conference play and and, and defending three point line. And then on the other hand, um, Florida State's three point shooting. I'm not even really sure what to ask about this, but I've got it in bold <laughs> on the outline. Like what? What the heck? Can 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 they make a three, please? Is this gonna <laughs> gonna continue? What's what's going on here? It has been, it has been bad. Um, so just, let's let's throw some pretty sobering numbers out there, right? So on the season, uh, Florida State is shooting thirty one point three percent from three, which is good for two hundred eighty fourth out of three hundred fifty three. Right now, what's what's ironic is that's actually not much different than what Duke is shooting on the season thirty one point eight percent. So. Um, there, there is a wide amount of luck when you're talking about small sample size, uh, you know, three point shooting study after study shows that the way to defend it is to prevent the shot from being taken, be, be so close on the pass before the you know, shot that they really can't take it. Once the shot goes up, it's kind of luck. You saw that play out where Duke, a 31, 32% three point shooting team, I think made 50 or so percent of their shots, uh, in, in the game in Tallahassee. But here's, here's the worst part that you're alluding to, bud. In conference play, Florida State is shooting 22.9% from three, uh, far and away dead last in the conference. And while some of that is luck, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of that also isn't some injuries. Um, we talked about Trent being hurt. Terrence has had a foot injury. MJ Walker has had a leg injury. And when you've got injuries, uh, you know, that are affecting your lift and your ability to get to practice and get in a rhythm in your shot, that makes it harder to then get in a rhythm with your shot and, and be consistent with that muscle memory. Man, that is uh, okay. So we might we, we might continue, but there's also some variance. I would say that there is no twenty two point nine percent cannot. I mean, that is statistically extremely improbable. Um, so there has to be some regression to the mean, which would be up. Um, are we going to magically turn into a 35 or 38 um, percent three-point shooting team? I don't know. I think that's a difficult question to answer until we really see how healthy some of these guys can get. Uh, we were also asked if Ingram and I took 30, 33 pointers, uh, could we make two of them? <laughs> I think in front it, of eleven thousand fans. I don't know. Right. Probably. Uh, yes. Well, if, they're, if they're not contested, if you give me thirty, if you give me thirty shots at this thing just in a row. I'm pretty sure I could make two. Are you are you also having to run around and play defense? No. Or are you just getting to right. stand so that, there? And yeah, that, that I think is a key. Uh, I If I have to run around a whole lot and I'm fatigued, then then probably not. Um, most likely. Igor, you, you got any game in? Look, I am not a good basketball player, by the way, at all. Um, so just, just to make that clear, I, I am not good. I just think... Two out of thirty, if it's not contested, and I'm not having to play defense, I'm just I'm just out there shooting. I, I think I can hit two out of thirty. 
Yeah, there was a time in my life where I was a decent basketball player. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, uh, sit here and, uh, and, and regale my uh, travel team glories, but uh, <laughs> I, I – no running is going on whatsoever. No, absolutely. No, no running, no defense, nothing else. I'm just uh, bringing a ball rack out there and shooting. I mean, yeah, certainly, certainly uh, I would, I would think that I'd be able to hit two out of 10. That's what I would predict uh, at, at a bare minimum. So certainly two I'm out of 30, you got all day, all day. All right. So Matt, we had asked you, um, and we kind of discussed this already before the game. You know, I, I know you thought Pitt had a really good chance of of pulling the upset and actually predicted the loss. You, you kind of already got into that. I, what makes winning on the road in, in league play so hard in college basketball? Well, first, it's basketball is very different in football than the travel schedules, right? Like it's this is a perfect example. The Duke, you go and play on a, on a Saturday, a very extremely physical game, you know, 250 pound guys uh, leaning on you and rebounding and you're running up and down the court and you lose in an emotionally kind of, you know, deflating fashion and have to hop on a plane. Imagine flying is, is tiring for anybody. I, you know, people who travel for work can attest that flying is tiring. So you immediately, you play this game, you have to hop on a plane, you go, you go and sleep in an uncomfortable bed, right? Maybe you've got some schoolwork that you got to make up for. Cause you know, you're going to miss class on that Monday. You're trying to, you know, study for a test or something. Your body's aching, still tired from the previous game. Now you go into an arena that uh, has completely unfamiliar sight lines, right? This isn't like football where you're just playing on a field that's a field. The, behind the basket, shooters are actually looking for familiar sight lines to line up with and understand you know, the three-dimensional depth perception. Well, this is a totally different arena they maybe have never played in, so your sight lines are being messed with. Um, and then you've got fans that are screaming while you're trying to communicate, not prior to the play, but you're actually trying to communicate during the play with your teammates around how to, you know, go around switches and screens and who's got what man running down court. It just, it's a totally different atmosphere than football. Um, I think two years ago, 70% of home teams in the ACC won, won their game, regardless of like just 70% of all games in the ACC were won by the home team. Last year, it slipped a little because Pitt went 0-18. So that hurt some of their results. <laughs> they lost all their home games. Um, <laughs> but that'll it's hurt. better. Yeah, that'll, that'll hurt. But Pitt's better now. And uh, I would imagine that it goes back up to that 65, 70% range again. There is a beer pong corollary here, by the way, for any of our younger listeners or our older listeners who have not really graduated. Um, I've always thought, you know, kind of on that NCAA tournament theory, where if you're playing in one of these giant arenas, you know, like like the domes that they that they put the tournaments in sometimes for the Final Four, you know, the shooting on those games oftentimes is Awful. really poor. And for a while, betters knew this, and you could take unders in Final Four games and do very well. Now, eventually, Vegas adjusted uh, w- w- when they realized what, you know, what was happening. Um, but in beer pong, I've always thought if you stand to the side and don't give the shooter a background to shoot at, right, it messes with their mm. depth perception when they're trying to throw the ball in one of these cups. So I've always been there, like, like, hey, no background, no background. Stand to the side and and yeah, make that's... make you know make them judge something that, that's much much further away depth perception wise, as opposed to having that standard background of, of of the two people right there behind the cups. I like it. I like it. We should probably get some sort of uh, analytical study going on that. I agree. Uh, if we have a beer sponsor, or hey, uh, Matso should actually just have a bunch of tournaments at Matso. Uh, yeah. We can do it outside at Township and their beautiful, 
your beautiful garden there. Yeah, we could definitely get some analytics going on. It'd be, it'd be pretty neat. You're spot on about the uh, about <laughs> the game, the NCAA tournament games played in these massive domes. And then, if you want to see it even worse, go check uh, go check out those preseason tournaments that are played in like these hotel, hotel ballrooms. Ball oh my god! Oh, yeah, horrible shooting. My yes, wife was I mean, like, "Are they having this at, like this tournament inside the Sheridan?" I was like, uh, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, babe. Actually, they 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 are." <laughs> Let's bring the attention back up to Metro Atlanta, Georgia here real quickly. A uh, guy that we talked a lot about uh, on the previous podcast, Anthony Edwards, uh, Atlanta prospect, uh, widely considered to be uh, perhaps the top player in his class. Seems to kind of continue to uh, trend in the in the positive uh, direction for Florida State, if I'm not mistaken. Every every indicator, you know, people might have seen that uh, he, uh, you know, kind of faux committed on Instagram Live or something like that. Uh, and then it was later backtracked and he didn't, he didn't actually commit, but you know, Hey, if that's going to happen, it's nice that, that Florida state is the name that pops into his head for that. Um, so every, every indicator continues to be that Florida state is in a very good place. Um, obviously I would say that, you know, anytime you're recruiting against the big dogs, you, you never know, um, as we've seen with some of this FBI stuff and everything, you just, with, with college basketball recruiting, there are often wild cards, but yes, uh, Ingram, I, it looks to be that Florida State continues to be in the lead there. So the AJC ran an article about Edwards today. Uh, he has, I didn't realize he has two of his official visits to, uh, to some of the big, uh, the big shoe teams, as I call them, but he's got uh, Kentucky and Kansas this week. So you've got to think that if you, if you can get out of this week and still uh, be in a place of strength that, that Edwards looks like a, a very legitimate possibility. That that would and you know, the, some guys just are looking to get to the league right away, and 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 he is a one and done. Let's be clear about that. So th- the reality is, is he could go to you know Stetson and still be a one and done. So it, it doesn't. It's not like he has to go to the biggest school for that. But what he has consistently uh, talked about, and what was mentioned in that article, great article by the way, is that you know family is really important to him and and having the culture of the, the program feel like a family and and that's something that uh Leonard Hamilton and Stan Jones and and the rest of the staff have been able to to build you know over a number of years and that's truly what the probably the best selling point of Florida State you know basketball program is and and, and Hamilton has been on him for a long time he he scouted him early and and saw this kid's potential so that certainly is you know, if he leaves, as you point, as you point out, maybe leaves Kansas not feeling that same kind of family environment, then that could be another thing that, you know, swings towards Florida State. I, I kind of just tensed up a bit, though, when, when Ingram revealed that the, that the kid still has Kentucky and Kansas left. Like, man, that, that that's almost like, in, you know, football terms, like, okay, yeah, hey, we're looking really good. All we got to do is survive these next two weekends at Alabama and at Ohio State on this right. day. Yeah, you know? yeah. at uh, Ohio State. Exactly. Yeah. And then what does he have? Uh, Georgia and North Carolina left after that, I believe. Yeah, he's already uh, visited he's got Georgia. got one more blue blood. Okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah nobody's calling them. Um, nobody's getting Georgia Georgia basketball and blue blood confused. But uh, still has the Carolina visit, it looks like. He does. Yep. And so Carolina's Nike, uh, Kentucky's Nike, Kansas is uh, Adidas and quite um, well known at this point for Adidas. Aggressively uh, so. They live sounds, that three stripe yeah. life? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So we'll, we'll see how. Uh, 
Interestingly enough, uh, Anthony Edwards has played on the Under Armour circuit, so um, we'll see. He hasn't. He's not right now visiting Maryland, so that's probably good news. And he also has not transferred to St. John's College, so all uh, very good news. Okay, uh, just just a couple more here. Uh, can, can we keep Kevin Galle out of foul trouble, possibly? Uh, that was probably maybe. the most frustrating part when I actually, because everybody's complaining about the refs, but then when I saw how he fouled out, I was like, oh my gosh, man. Like, they need him on the floor. You're exactly right. That This goes back to the point, you know, a few minutes ago. I love, look, that kid is going to make money someday because of his passion and aggressiveness. And, and you, you can just tell he, he really wants to win. He's got to do a better job of recognizing that his value on the court in a three or four or five point game far outweighs the value of picking up any one charge or getting any one block shot, right? Especially in the game that has already featured 40 plus fouls called. So I, I, he, he could probably do a better job too of just, you know, continuing to use his positioning better and not have to reach as much that would that would help him a little but yeah he he really benefits from games like the duke game that are called more loosely you up for a little buy or sell yeah yeah let's do it all right first one um just we just basically ripped this off twitter because a lot of people are thinking this is not going to happen now but i kind of think it still will uh buy or sell florida state makes the ncaa tournament oh sell strong sell um. Yeah, they've already got 13 wins, so you got to find. Wait, another... you're selling that they're going to make the tournament? I mean, excuse me. I'm, did you say they're going to make the NCAA? Yes, tournament? make. Okay, buy. I'm buy big time. Buy. Load load up your stock. Sorry, I thought you said miss there. Um, so, so, so this is a max bet. Yeah, max okay. max. I mean, a max bet with the caveat that if if we found out tomorrow that maybe Trent Forrest. And Terrence Mann were now out for the, you know, knock on wood, but couldn't play the rest of the season with injuries or something. That might, you know, change the opinion. But as it currently stands, strong buy. They have 13 wins, probably make it with, you know, 20 for sure, because some of the, they, they have wins over Purdue and LSU and Florida. Um, so, yeah, I would say they really only need to find another six or seven wins in regular season. Okay, perfect. Um, and then last one here for you. Florida State will finish with a winning conference record. So right now they sit at one and three. Winning would be ten and eight or better. Mm, this is a much closer question. I will be optimistic and say bye. So you, they you, you like a nine and five finish or better? Yes, I think so. Yep, I think that if they can. This is going to sound probably. This is probably going to make some uh, some of the listeners really start to bite their fingernails. But if they can go one and one over the next two, which admitted, as you said, they they could conceivably win both. They maybe should win both. Um, they can go one and one over the next two, uh, kind of find their way and get healthy through the early parts of February. They then close with. At, with home against Notre Dame, home against North Carolina State, home against Virginia Tech, and then at Wake Forest, who's the worst team in the league. I know road games are hard, but you know, last game of the year, they gotta. You, you expect them to win that. So I, I think they could conceivably go four and zero or three and one over that closing stretch, which means you know you just got to get five or so wins uh, before then over the next ten. 
man, that's bold, and I like it. That that that's there you go. All right, uh, Anger, we got anything else for Matt? No, man, thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, let's let's do it again. Basketball is going to be a lot of fun to watch uh, as it plays itself out, and we're lucky to be able to have people like you uh, come on and give our listeners a much uh, better idea as to what's going on with this team. Yeah, yeah we, we really appreciate it. This is this is cool, and and like I like doing it kind of every other week now because it, it, it's. You know, instead of just, hey, here's what happened in the last week. They won, they lost. Like, we're actually talking about issues within the team. It, it kind of fits a little more what we do stylistically as a show. And, uh, you know, I, I, the listener feedback has been extremely positive. We did get a couple people who told us to stick to football. Uh, most people out there um, have been really, really into it. So, very, uh, very excited about it. That's great. Um, every other week or so works works for me. Like you said, li- like to focus on the big picture trends, no small sample sizes, and great to hear that there was some positive response. So happy to be on uh, in the future. All right, buddy. Take care. You guys can follow Matt uh, on Tomahawk Nation. Does excellent content over there. And uh, uh, Matt, do you want to you uh, plug your Twitter as well, or are you, uh, you good with just TN? Uh, you know, if people followed me on Twitter, they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't see a whole lot. I, I, my dog does have an Instagram, uh, that's fairly active. So now, do you <laughs> run it or is like, the wife? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I'll go ahead and admit that I run most of it. Yeah. <laughs> Teddy t- man's best friend over there. He asked me to do a lot of, uh, a lot of the, of his model shoots. So very cool. All right. Well, uh, we will look forward to following your dog on Instagram and, uh, I'll see you in two weeks. Yeah. All right. Y'all take right, it buddy. easy. Take care. All right, guys. All right. Uh, with that, we uh, we really want to thank you all for listening to the show. It's been awesome. Uh, next week, we'll have a cool way that you can actually contribute to the show for free if, if you're so inclined. So uh, be on the lookout for that. As of now, five stars on iTunes, please. I just had a tremendous year of, of listenership. And, uh, you know, in the off season, we typically do one show a week. We'll, we'll pretty much stick to that schedule except when one of us goes on vacation and uh, we'll kind of give our standard 75 episodes a, a year and, and here's a great or here's to another great uh, another great season another great 2019 for the Nolcast. so we'll catch you all next time <laughs>